welcome to the Conversations As You Go podcast. And today we have the privilege of Toby Hall, Chair of the Praxis Board for the last 10 years. And we've been so blessed to have a man of Toby's calibre join with us at Praxis. I remember that his willingness to come on board and help this little ragtag, nothing organisation get birthed and put his uh, name and uh, work into creating something out of nothing. And we've been so blessed. His tenure as chair of our board has finished and uh, we have to have a uh, chair going for about nine to ten years and then legally we can't keep going. So I thought it would be great to hear from Toby. I know many have appreciated Toby deeply in Praxis, his input, his work with us uh, both publicly and also behind the scenes and I personally could not have asked for a better chair and someone who's both spoken into me personally, my life, as well as uh, broadly and helped us organisationally. So welcome, Toby. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be with you today. It's great. Toby, as as we cast our our vision back and as we see, you know, we were just a, a very small group when we started of a, a handful of people. And today... We see there are about a thousand people, non-Christians, in groups discovering Jesus. About 185 discovery groups. We're working in 12 nations. We're excited about multiplication that's happening in some places, especially places like India. This has gone down to six or more generations deep. Uh, we have 300 people who serve on teams and volunteers. 25 churches in Australia planted. 1,500 people involved in the movement and. On top of this, we've been walking beside a movement in India, and we're a little fuzzy on the figures here, but roughly over 20,000 people, 10,000 baptisms, and 1,000 groups. And we've gone from a handful to what we are today. And we're not kind of boasting, but we do recognize the goodness of God and how he works. Um, Toby, what, what's your key reflections as you look backwards? I think... Uh... The heart of my interest in practice and being involved was really understanding right at the start that there was something not working in the way church was being done. And the traditional Western model of church particularly has been, to be honest, not that successful, generally speaking, in terms of outreach. And I think people's hearts are in the right place. They want to do the right thing. They want to create connection but they, they haven't necessarily known how. And I think right at the heart of Praxis, what struck me at the start was that this was a way to, I think, give people a how to build church, how to reach out to their friends and how to do something which will make a difference. And when you've got a bit of a how, the rest of it's kind of down to God. And I remember, I think, very early days saying that, you know, we, we can't constrain God in what he wants to do. And if you'd asked me then, would we be in 12 countries? I would have been probably humanly a bit a bit sceptical about the possibility of that happening, to be honest. I would have been, yeah, that's probably, that's maybe a stretch, but it's it's happened because we tried to, so let, let's focus on how we do it and then God, God can do the rest if we get the how right. And I think the thing I love about Praxis is the first thing and the start of it is really about prayer. Mm saying to people, if you want to do anything successful, anything that will have an outcome in the kingdom, you've got to start with prayer. And 
So I think firstly we focused on talking to people about their personal prayer life. If they want to be part of Praxis, their personal prayer engagement is really important. And as a board chair, I, I even, that and Dave will know this, I said we need to measure what is the level of prayer activity. Yeah, It's quite incredible through the history of Praxis that the more we've prayed, the more success has come. In fact, you can even see graphs where prayer correlates with growth of Praxis. And so he said firstly to people, well, you've got to pray uh, yourself, uh, your ministry, what you want to do and pray in your communities. And, and just recently we had this prayer right around Australia on the edges of the nation, praying for the whole whole country. And that's just amazing that there are people who are putting their time into prayer. And we've had people recently who've prayer walked or prayer driven around their parts of the of Australia. And when you see what's started then to flow from that, particularly I think the story of regional Victoria is incredible where even in a time of, lockdown really in really difficult communications the team was prepared to pray for regional victorians and god started blossoming from that Mm. so basing everything in prayer i think was really exciting i thought something that could happen and then this concept of searching for people of peace has always been important to to practice and understanding that and i've said to dave and i've said to other people there's two kinds of people of peace i've found i've found that there are People who just got that kind of networked connection thing, they're just good people and they generally bounce off other people and they've got relationships. And you can see, see them and find ways to connect with them as a great way to connect into a community. But there's also sometimes people who are a little bit antagonistic who can be people of peace as well in that they, they're kind of presented with the concept of the gospel and prayer, but their initial response is not positive. In fact, it can be sometimes wildly negative, mm. but then they they find somehow uh, that something touches them and then they become incredible evangelists and people of peace themselves to their community because they've been so powerfully touched. And you kind of see that with Paul in the Bible, really. I mean, mm. Paul would not have been your first choice of a kind of great evangelist for the church, and yet, look, his anger kind of, then he's presented with God and bang, he changes and suddenly becomes a catalyst for church growth. And so... The concept of finding people of peace, I think, was was really powerful. And then something I loved, which has come out of praxis and is flowing, I think, more broadly into the church, is just the simple model of the discipleship Bible model where you sit down and just read the Bible with people individually and just share what we've learned from it. And I've been doing that with a friend recently, and it's incredible. We read a couple of passages, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I have never got this out of this passage myself yeah. and you, you kind of look at it and go it's incredible things and you suddenly see a blossoming because of new thought new ways of reading the gospel and how it touches someone and you realize how much you can miss yourself and so that, that model is great for the people who are reading the bible for the first time but it's just as good for you to engage with as well and then finding a way to engage people into community is key as well. And when you put all those together, you, you see amazing things happen and it just flows naturally. And instead of this evangelism thing being this kind of hard thing to do, it actually just happens around you. And it, you kind of wake up one day and there's people all over the place who are responding and want to find out about it. And we've seen that time and time again. That That's exciting. So that, that early vision to see that happening and a different way of doing 
church and expanding the kingdom, you know, I was just drawn to and it's kind of been exciting ever since really. It's really, really powerful reflections. And I remember um, at the beginning we talked about measuring and measuring of prayer and it was really kind of hard to do. How do you you measure prayer? What's what's passion and prayer? What's effective? What's Holy Spirit-filled prayer? And what's, um, you know, but we eventually had to just come with really – basic model of prayer of how many hours are being prayed and um, per person. And uh, and it was you who really started to point out the correlation of, of growth and prayer. And and uh, interestingly, the number of people being reached in discipleship and the hours of prayer. And I, I recently just looked at it again as I was preparing for our time, to, our conversation today, you know, and uh, we have about a thousand people discovering Jesus and we've got about 900 hours of prayer going. And um, and that kind of growth correlation, I mean, I wouldn't build a theology around it, but it is really interesting to see um, uh, as we interact with God, God really blesses and starts yeah. to help us do what we can't do, which is... Often- I think that's the heart of it. I remember my wife works or worked for a long time with the Alpha Ministry, and she would pretty much tell you that, it, it virtually never happens that someone comes to faith, even through Alpha, that someone else has not been praying for. Mm, yeah. to, to the extent she'd even say to people when they kind of made a decision, who, 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 who do you know who's prayed for you? And nearly every time people have been able to go, oh, it might be my friend Jane or it might be my uncle or my auntie or my grandparents, but someone's been there in the background praying. And I don't think God looks at the the uh, the quality of our prayer so much. I think He looks at our heart and the fact that we're determined to put time aside. Yeah. If He looked at the quality of our prayer a lot of the time, we'd be in trouble. I think. <laughs> but if He looks at our heart, where we're prepared to give up time and dedicate it to prayer, mm-hmm. which is what I think He does, then He responds to that. And He's not saying, "Oh, perfect prayers," and I want perfect models of how you do praxis. He's saying, I want people who will just do stuff. So I want people who go and walk the streets and pray. I want people who get up early in the morning and pray for for the work they're doing and dedicate time to it. And it doesn't have to be eloquent. doesn't have to be smart. It just has to be go and make the effort. He can translate the rest perfectly well. And so bullet, yeah, I'm a really big believer that's an important base to what we do. And you can see that in other ministries down through history that prayer has been really the, the grounding for them. So powerful. And the idea that everybody can pray and God is not someone who is impressed with our performance or our fine words or our our um charisma or charismata but he's really looking at the heart and the simplest of prayers the simple um prayed in the most simple of ways it's not really the power of our prayers the power of god listening to us isn't it it is yeah and we can we can shout our prayers and that's fun sometimes and we can look for guidance of the spirit and that happens powerfully sometimes other times it doesn't and there are people whose prayers are incredibly eloquent and it's beautiful and that's a gift from God, but there's people whose prayers are just not that eloquent. They're just, oh, Jesus, please come. <laughs> and God responds yeah. to all of it, I think, and he just loves the fact that we're dedicating time to prayer. So basing everything in prayer I think is really key. That's no, fantastic. Um, 
you know, we, we've been learning about movements from the non-Western context and um, we see in the 70s and 80s this fragile church in China that took off and now is one of the largest churches in the world and in more recent decades, places like India and other places where movements have been exploding and um, where even places where we used to call the graveyard of missionaries are now talking of 40,000 churches or 10,000 churches, just mind-blowing, staggering stuff. We've been, as it were, the church in the West has been students of what's been going on in the non-Western world. But, you know, as you know, and we, we come to the West and 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 what we find is uh, the harvest fields are harder, the ground is harder to plough and, and slower. And it seems that the West is going through a number of transitions, both culturally, thinking-wise, you know, what the assumed place of the church in culture and society is no longer there, the transition of, that happened in the 60s and 70s, etc., etc. We're, we're facing great challenges, and suddenly um, the church itself in the West is finding itself, um, I guess, not in a familiar place, but really uh, encountering aggression, some sometimes persecution, cynicism, um, and really trying to figure out our place. Uh, how do you see this, Toby? How do you see the future of the church in the West, and, and what are some of your reflections around this, this uh, place? I, I, I think our, our biggest issue, in, and this comes up in Revelations, is, is ambivalence to the church. Mm. It's, it's better that there's anger and persecution or joy and celebration than ambivalence. And I think in the West we've kind of got to this ambivalence of the church is just irrelevant and society is not angry about us at the moment and so we're obviously not doing enough and they're certainly not excited about things either at the moment and so we're not creating the charisma on the one hand but on the other we're not creating a fire in the community of anger. And so we've, we've become irrelevant. And I think what we've got to do in the West is actually start to look back to the heart of the church. And the church wasn't this massive institution in the past with these big structures and big buildings. The mm. church originally was a movement. In fact, mm. the first 300 years of the church is a story of movement. Mm. And we, we've kind of taken the church to an institution from a movement. And I think now what we've got to do is go back to movement. And we'd be completely wrong to assume that society is not interested or desiring what the church has to offer. In fact, when you talk to people about Jesus and what he talks about and what he presents, I I virtually never, it doesn't matter what faith background people are from, even if they're secular, you you don't often get people criticising Jesus Mm -hmm. or his teachings. Mm -hmm. You'll hear people talk about the church, you'll talk about the institutions and you'll talk about the judgment of the church, but you don't get people bagging Jesus very much. Mm. And the reason why is when you actually read what Jesus says and how he presents things, he has this beautiful balance of grace and truth. And he can hold those two intention, whereas I think the church holds truth in some cases and grace in other cases, but almost invariably fails to be able to put it together. Mm -hmm. 
But when you actually present them, put together how Jesus does, people look at it and go, that's actually a beautiful thing. And I think that we've got to get back to really being able to just talk simply with people about Jesus. And that's why the discipleship Bible model is so good because it's not about church, it's not about institution, it's not about religion, it's not about worship songs and what you like. It's simply sitting down and saying, let's let's read the Word of God. Let's read what Jesus had to say. Let's read what God has kind of said. And when people are presented with that, it's actually quite interesting that suddenly there's a whole new world because there's nothing to do with the traditional context of church. It's actually just about the heart of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And the heart of the gospel is really, really simple. It's not a complex thing. And try and find trying to find an offence in Jesus' words is quite hard. In fact, most of the offensive things Jesus said were about us as a religious body, as the church and the times back then, and that's what he'd do if he came today. He'd be coming to us and saying, you guys, come on, wake up. You've got to do this differently. You're getting this wrong, this wrong. It's not about your big buildings and your kind of perfect worship. It's not about all the money and everything like that, and it's not about how many people you got in your congregation it's actually about really simple things of understanding God wants to have a relationship with people, that we are fallen and that we are saved by grace. And Jesus offers that grace to us. And so I think we've got to get back to presenting that. Now, that thinking is so alien to us and we've become so convinced in the West that people don't want to hear about God that most Christians are too scared to do anything about it Yeah, because it's too scary. And I think when you say to people, well, all you've got to do is start to pray for, for people, you'll you be surprised someone will, will come up. Mm-hmm. And all you've got to do is say, do you want to read the Bible with me and just spend time reading the Bible? I'm not giving them answers, just saying you find the answers yourself in the Bible. I don't need to translate it for you. You can read it yourself and work it out for yourself. Creating that space is where I think we've got to move. And what, what we're seeing in the act, if, if we don't do that, we'll still just be seen as an irrelevance, I think, mm-hmm. in wider society. If we start to take people back to the simple gospel message and help them discover God for themselves, I don't think that desire has gone at all in Australia. In fact, if anything, I think people are crying out for meaning and for purpose. If you look at our society, we, we now have probably the highest rates of mental health issues in in history within our community and yet that's at the same time we're probably the wealthiest we've ever been particularly in the west we've we've got everything we need in fact in in many ways we've got what Isaiah describes as the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. apart from we've got it without God (laughs) and what that leads to is is a hopelessness which I think you can see coming out in this this level of mental health issues because without hope, what is there? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a presentation of hope and a, and a purpose, what is there? And I think people are searching for that. And the answer is clear. We, not, if you're a Christian, you know the answer. The answer is a relationship with God through Jesus. But if you're not a Christian, then then what is the answer? Now, I'm, not, I'm, I'm also, I've got to be realistic. I know that that doesn't solve all mental health issues, but 
it creates a purpose and a connection for people. But we've we've lost that. And so we've got to get back to those kind of basic things and and Christianity a whole lot simpler than it's been, I think. And if we can do that, I see hope for the church. And interesting enough, I've seen this in praxis, but I've seen it play out in lots of other ways. And the model works. You can see it working in the West. You can see it working in third world countries. And I think what we're going to do is then get over the both the lethargy and fear of Christians in the West, it's actually this is a new a new thing, a new way of doing things that can work. And the, I guess if you look at the last hundred years, the big kind of campaign model of the Billy Graham, it's not today's way that God's going to work. He wants, mm. I think he wants us individually to go out and do the work if we want to see change. Well, my, my head is spinning in 10 different directions as you talk, Toby. There were just so many profound um, things that you just said. Um Toby, getting back to Praxis and the organisation, and you, you've come in and really provided great chair, chairmanship and, and governance for us and really effectively moved us forward as an organisation. I don't always see that in a lot of places um, as, as uh, the role of keeping us sharp, keeping us focused, keeping us accountable, keeping us in, in integrity. Uh, and I know that you you are sitting on various boards and in different places. Can you just make a comment about the importance of good governance in Christian organisations? I think uh, look, my my kind of view is is that there, there's no reason why you can't have good governance in in Christian places. And I think it actually comes back in some ways that same balance of grace and truth mm. because good governance needs grace and truth if it's all grace and and you don't care about outcomes then you can you can go along and be nice good people and do nothing mm-hmm. but if it's a balance of grace and truth you've got to say we're, we're actually here to do something and i think the first thing in good governance is really being focused on what are you here to do and that dave will know that uh, i and the team on the board really pushed hard to say, let's get this model clarified. In fact, we've now, I think, spent 10 years getting to the point where I think we've got a really clear model of how we do praxis mm. and what we do. And you can see it's working and expanding. But that's that's staying focused and saying, let's refine, let's refine, let's refine and get that thing working and, and be prepared to learn and change if we need to. But let's refine and learn. And good boards, I think, focus on that. And the second thing is, to me, is not being everything to everyone. Mm. Just not know what you're good at. Do that. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You can let them get on and do their thing their way. Just be focused on what you're there to do. And when you've got kind of, I've worked really hard to understand what I should be doing and I'm just focused on that, that's where I think you can kind of marry the call of God, either to an individual or an organisation, and then you've got to try and work out uh, how, how am I best placed personally to be part of that. And for me, look, I'm much better at doing board stuff than I am at running running stuff personally. And so being prepared to sit on the board and do my part, there's been parts where I can do easily. I, I put a lot of time in early on to make sure we had the funds we needed to keep practice going. And that, mm. that's worked really well for us over, over the decade. 
if I'd been out looking for workers, I probably would have been terrible at that. Uh, so understanding which bit you can do and how you can make a contribution is important in any organisation. Then the, the board being prepared to ask tough questions and say, are we doing the right thing by our people? Are we continuing to really strive and focus to deliver our outcomes, I think is important. And Dave would attest at times that's probably been tough for him. We've really pushed us. I know we've got to we've got to pursue prayer and we've got to pursue this process and not back off from it. And it's not good enough to say people don't people haven't got the data or they're they're worried about it or don't want to measure it. They've actually got to say we've got to know that we're putting in the time and effort. And that just takes a little bit of discipline. But when you understand what you need to do and you've got a way of measuring it, then you can start to see, I think, that you are making a difference. And and I think that's important from a governance point of view. And I, I think where we've seen big failures in governance in the church, and there has been mm-hmm. there has been a lot of that in the Australian church and the global church, is I think people haven't been prepared to ask the tough questions because in some ways people people are like, oh, it's unchristian to do that. But I don't think that's true. Jesus was prepared to ask everyone tough questions. He asked us tough questions and it's okay for boards to do that as well. And I, th- I think the, the kind of ideal kind of model of a board is it's like the concept of iron sharpening iron because mm-hmm. we want to be better. We want to get as good as we can in terms of, doing things, but it's also a place of saying how do we support and nurture and create an environment where once we've got that refining done, where we can grow and build because you only do the refining to grow the fruit. And so that's where all can play a place and hopefully hopefully we've been able to do that. And I think it's important that that's part of the structure of any organisation. Yeah, yeah, it's really been uh, excellent uh, to have that focus, to have that external accountability, uh, to really be asked the questions, are you doing what you said, said that you would do, and to have the measurements in place, but also then to be thinking through the, the resource issue, the governance of that resource, to yep. making sure that we have uh, great stuff. And um, you've really, you've really uh, been exemplary in all of that, and I'm very grateful for that, um, Toby, it's just been great. Um, as you finish your tenure as the chair of Praxis, I'm wondering uh, the people who are probably going to be listening to this podcast are, are linked somehow with our community. Um, what any words of encouragement or reflections or anything at all? Yeah, all, all, all I can say is, I mean, this comes back to our, our process discussion right at the heart of this is. If you feel called to this, and not everyone's necessarily called to the way we do things, but mm. to be honest, even if you don't feel called, you can give it a go because I've got a fair chance of, it, of uh, believing it'll probably work better than what you're doing otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. Get out and do the praying. Go, go and pray. Walk your streets. Pray for people you care about, whether it's your workplace or the community you live in. Mm. Just go out and pray and just say to God, help me understand how to pray for this place. Don't worry about eloquence. And then when you start doing that, look for people. Look for the people around you and see see who's in that place. And and maybe particularly look for the people you haven't seen before Mm -hmm. and find a way to connect with them. And then then be brave enough to look at how you can do a discipleship model with people. Don't don't resolve from doing that. 
and then um, look at how you can put them together in a group. And the key thing is is that you, you can't fail. You, you really can't fail because if you go give that a go and you don't necessarily see the fruit that you've got, you, you've responded to what God's asked you to do. And I, I think some of the time we always we always are looking at, um, at, at we've got to have X Y Z outcome, but mm. God often I think looks at the and this comes back to prayer. He looks at the process and the heart. Yeah, and says, "Are we prepared to do stuff?" And I got a friend whose whose family have been missionaries in in Japan for forty years, and in that time they've seen I think twelve people come to Christ. Wow. And I was so excited then when we had people from Praxis go to Japan to pray for Japan and thought, you know, that they may well be seeing that they feel that there's not been fruit to their ministry, but there, there will be. They may just not see it. And that, that's the thing about having faith in God that it will happen. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get excited, there's nothing like when someone turns around and says yes to those questions. Do you want to meet? Do you want to chat? Do you want to read the Bible together? And give it a go, see what happens. And for the workers around the world, same thing, keep the process going, believe in it. Don't try and change it. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Believe that this model works. Believe that God will work for you. And the reason I can say that is because we're in 12 countries. We've got expansion happening in a ton of different places, from gypsies in Hungary to Muslims in in America to Hindus in India, to everyday white Aussies in Australia, to Aboriginal people in the outback of Australia. This stuff is happening. It's working. God is moving. And all he wants you to do is just give a little bit of time and be prepared to do it his way. Give it a go and things will happen and God will bless you. And you never know where you might be in 10 years' time because practice has gone very differently than I expected, but we just got in and, and did the process and look where we are today and look at what the opportunity is ahead. And I, I think when I left the board, one of the things I remember praying is that greater things are yet to come for this ministry, and and they are. So I pray for each of you who are listening to this that, that you'll be brave enough to step out and to follow this model to engage with praxis and, and see those greater things come to fruition in your own life and that God will bless the work you do. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Toby. Uh, it's worth mentioning that, you know, you haven't just left and there's no one in your place. We have the wonderful Sue Ash who's yeah. taken your place as the chair and Sue is also going to bring her gifting to the table and will be a Excellent chair as well. We're really yeah, we're very blessed to have Sue. She's going to be brilliant. She's had personal engagement practice for a long period of time, and several of the board have now as well, which I think is great. Uh, I'm really excited. We were able, I was able to hand over to someone else, and uh, it's kind of daunting when you've done something for ten years. And this is, I said to Fiona when I, my wife, when we finished up, I said, said that's, I, I think it's the first time that I've, I've been from the start to the finish of a full tenure as a board person and wow. and it, it only seems like yesterday that Praxis started. I remember the first discussion with Dave about it quite vividly and it's quite incredible that 10 years have gone by because it's flown. But what's more incredible is just how much God has done through 
you know, a bunch of fairly normal, ordinary people just mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing and follow what he's asking us to do. Yeah. And I'm sure if listeners do the same thing, they'll see the same sort of profound things happen. Fantastic. Well, I just want to personally say thanks, Toby, for all that you've given over the last 10 years. We're really deeply grateful and we honour your input and commitment. You've been an outstanding chair and really helped us. And me personally as well. You've spoken into my life and encouraged me in areas of my own personal life and and, and that's been incredibly valuable. So really honour that and thank you so much and we look forward to the future. God has great things uh, for all of us as we, as we step out. God bless you and God bless everyone at Praxis. I'll thank speak soon.